good evening again, everyone. Glad uh, you are here and have made it out uh, tonight. Uh, tonight we are continuing our study through the book of Numbers, and uh, I would like to say before we go any further that it is a tremendous privilege to stand once again uh, with the brothers here, uh, and this time including uh, Pastor Dallas with us uh, as we look uh, at these truths in the book of Numbers uh, and as we learn uh, together uh, as we study this book. Uh, this is our third week in the study of the book of Numbers. Uh, a few weeks ago, feels like a month now, but a few weeks ago, uh, Brother Dallas, he looked at chapter 1 for us. And uh, two weeks ago, Brother Clark, he looked at uh, chapter 2, and now we are in chapter 3 uh, this evening, and we are going to be looking at uh, verses 1 through 39. Uh, so if you haven't already, uh, we are in Numbers chapter 3. Uh, we'll start our scripture reading in verse 1 and read down through verse 39. And before we do so, uh, I would li like to go to the Lord in prayer and ask his blessing Well, Father, we thank you for the grace that you have granted us to come back this evening and to study the wonderful truths that we find in your word. Father, we ask tonight that you would be our teacher, that you would so graciously open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things from your word. Lord, give us wisdom tonight, Lord, as I speak, and wisdom uh, those that hear, that we may be able to be obedient and comprehend that which you will say to us this evening through what you have already spoken in your word. And Lord, may we like newborn babies crave the pure spiritual milk of your word that we may grow thereby, because indeed we have tasted your goodness. And God, we pray all this humbly and boldly because of Christ, in whose name we ask all this. Amen. All right. Numbers chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to read down through verse 39. A little bit lengthy, uh, but uh, shouldn't take us too long there. So starting in verse 1, we read, These are the generations of Aaron and Moses at the time when the Lord spoke with Moses on Mount Sinai. These are the names of the sons of Aaron, Nadab the firstborn, and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. These are the names of the sons of Aaron, the anointed priests, whom he ordained to serve as priests. But Nadab and Abihu died before the Lord when they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai, and they had no children. So Eleazar and Ithamar served as priests in the lifetime of Aaron their father. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Bring the tribe of Levi near, and set them before Aaron the priest, that they may minister to him. They shall keep guard over him and over the whole congregation before the tent of meeting, as they minister at the tabernacle. They shall guard all the furnishings of the tent of meeting, and keep guard over the people of Israel as they minister at the tabernacle. And you shall give the Levites to Aaron and his sons. They are wholly given to him from among the people of Israel. And you shall appoint Aaron and his sons, and they shall guard their priesthood. But if any outsider comes near, he shall be put to death. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Behold, I have taken the Levites from among the people of Israel, instead of every firstborn who opens the womb among the people of Israel. 
the Levites shall be mine. For all the firstborn are mine on the day that I struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. I consecrated for my own all the firstborn in Israel, both of man and of beast. They shall be mine. I am the Lord. And the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, saying, List the sons of Levi by fathers' houses and by clans. Every male from a month from a month old and upward you shall list. So Moses listed them according to the word of the Lord as he was commanded. And these were the sons of Levi by their names, Gershon, and Kohath, and Merari. And these are the names of the sons of Gershon by their clans, Libani and Shimei. And the sons of Kohath by their clans, Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Ezer. And the sons of Merari by their clans, Malai and Mushai. These are the clans of the Levites by their fathers' houses. To Gershon belonged the clan of the Libanites and the clan of the Shimeites. These were the clans of the Gershonites. Their listing according to the number of all the males from a month old and upward was 7,500. The clans of the Gershonites were to camp behind the tabernacle on the west. With Eliasaph, the son of Lael, as chief of the father's house of the Gershonites, and the guard duty of the sons of Gershon in the tent of meeting involved the tabernacle, the tent with its covering, the screen up for the entrance of the tent of meeting, the hangings on the court, the screen for the door of the court that is around the tabernacle and the altar and its cords, all the service connected with these. To Kohath belonged the clan of the Amorites and the clan of the Izarites and the clan of the Hebronites and the clan of the Uzielites. These are the clans of the Kohathites. According to the number of all the males from a month old and upward, they, there were 8,600 keeping guard over the sanctuary. The clans of the sons of Kohath were to camp on the south side of the tabernacle with Elizaphon, the son of Uziel, as chief of the fathers, house of the clans of the Kohathites. And their guard duty involved the ark, the table, the lampstand, the altars, the vessels of the sanctuary, with which the priests minister and the screen, all the service connected with these. And Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, was to be chief over the chief of the Levites and to have oversight of those who kept guard over the sanctuary. To Merari belonged the clan of the Malites and the clan of the Mushites. These are the clans of Merari. Their listing according to the number of all the males from a month old and upward was 6,200. And the chief of the father's house of the clans of Merari was Zeril, the son of Abahil. They were to camp on the north side of the tabernacle. And the appointed guard duty of the sons of Merari involved the frames of the tabernacle, the bars, the pillars, the bases, and all their accessories, all the service connected with these. Also the pillars around the court with their bases and pegs and cords. Those who were to camp before the tabernacle on the east, before the tent of meeting toward the sunrise, were Moses and Aaron and his sons, guarding the sanctuary itself to protect the people of Israel, and any outsider who came near was to be put to death. All those listed among the Levites whom Moses and Aaron listed at the commandment of the Lord by the clans, all the males from a month old and upward were 22,000. Uh, that was... Uh, a lot, but uh, I hope uh, you were attentive to what was said there, and so 
uh, as we continue tonight, we're going to look at this amazing, uh, really amazing passage, passage of Scripture uh, because of some of the truths that we are going to see through this. And, uh, but before we look at uh, the verses that I want to kind of hone in on tonight, I want to just kind of give you a, uh, a summary, if you will, uh, in a little bit of detail on what's going on in this chapter. Uh, now, in studying and looking at uh, what different scholars and what different uh, commentators said on this particular passage, uh, in terms of chapter 3 and chapter 4 are kind of connected uh, in a way there, uh, these chapters are broken up into three different sections. Uh, after the short introduction that we find in our passage in verses 1 through 5 of chapter 3, uh, the first section that we will find is in verses uh, 5 through 39 of chapter 3, uh, which is a description, as we just read, of the duties of each clan of the Levites. Now, the second section that we see is broken up into verses 40 through 51 of chapter 3, and there we are given an explanation of the relationships of the Levites, uh, both to the Lord, Yahweh, and to some uh, other of the Israelites. And in chapter 4, uh, the entirety of chapter 4, we see a more detailed description uh, of the duties of each of the clans uh, of the Levites. So that's just kind of a, uh, that's kind of a, a, how this portion of scripture is broken up to uh, because it is uh, considered chapter 3 and chapter 4 uh, to be connected uh, in that way because of these sections. Uh, but to get to our passage, uh, look with me again at verses uh, 1 through 5. Now, in verses 1 through 5 is kind of the introduction uh, to, to our passage this evening. And here we are reminded of an account uh, that we will find actually in Leviticus chapter 10 uh, of the two sons of Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu. Now, those names might sound familiar uh, to you, but if you look in, chapter, in Leviticus chapter 10, what's going on there is as the people of God were kind of adoring in his presence and his glory and making sacrifices to God, Nadab and Abihu um, kind of, they rushed into the tabernacle, right? They rushed into the tabernacle to burn incense uh, even though it wasn't their appointed time, Okay? And they had both gone in together instead of alone. And they also took fire that was not taken from the altar. So they had taken fire that was not commanded for them to take from the Lord. And because of that, because of their disobedience to the Lord's commands, they were immediately struck dead by the Lord himself. And so in looking at... In this account here, in these first few verses, uh, there's something that we learn about God here, okay? There's something we learn about God. Now, Nadab and Abihu's sin concerned God's worship. Why is that? Why is that? Well, from what we read in Scripture, God is a jealous God, right? He is a jealous God in the sense that he is jealous for pure worship. Right, because it belongs to his glory, and he is worthy of all that glory, right? And God is holy, and God is just, and therefore, 
he has every right to require a certain way that he ought to be worshipped. Right? Because that type of worship, the way in which he requires that worship, is what brings glory to his name. And any other worship that's not the worship that God himself requires of us is false worship. And worship that will not bring glory to his name. So the worship of God is to not be taken lightly. That's something that we can learn from those first few verses in this account uh, that we see from Leviticus chapter 10 concerning Nadab and Abihu is that the worship of God is not to be taken lightly. It's not to be pushed off to be some secondary issue. No, it is important and it is crucial. We are to worship God as he commands us in Scripture or there will be consequences. Just like we see with Nadab and Abihu. Now, I want to bring to your attention another passage of Scripture that we will find in 1 Chronicles chapter 13. If you will turn with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 13, and I want to kind of expound on this point a little bit more here uh, concerning the worship of God. Now, here in 1 Chronicles chapter 13, in this passage, the Ark of the Covenant is being transported. Okay, And the Lord gives specific instructions on how it should be transported uh, because the Ark of the Covenant represented the very presence of God. Okay, And no one could touch the Ark of the Covenant with their hands. All right? So starting in verse 5 of 1 Chronicles chapter 13, we read, So David assembled all Israel from the Nile of Egypt to Lebo Hamath to bring the Ark of God from Kiriath-Jerim. And David and all Israel went up to Velah, that is, to Kiriath-Jerim, that belongs to Judah, to bring up from there the Ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord, who sits enthroned above the cherubim. And they carried the Ark of God on a new cart from the house of Abinadab, and Uzzah and Ahio were driving the cart. And David and all Israel were celebrating before God with all their might, with song and lyres and harps and tambourines and cymbals and trumpets. And when they came to the threshing floor of Shidon, Uzzah put out his hand to take hold of the ark, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and he struck him down because he put out his hand to the ark. He died there before God. Now, to some, that uh, God would strike Uzzah dead on the spot. To some, that is kind of a struggling a thing to, to struggle thinking about. Uh, to some, or maybe even most, uh, but to most, especially those who, who really have very little, or I would say even no understanding of God, God's character, God's nature, and specifically God's holiness, would think that in this account that we, that we see and read here about Uzzah, would think that he would be doing something heroic. Right? The Ark of the Covenant, we see that the oxen stumbled, so the Ark of the Covenant was falling, and Uzzah, right, Uzzah, having good intentions, no doubt, reached out his hand to try to save the Ark of the Covenant from hitting the ground. 
So to most, that would look like a very heroic act. But with a, a very little understanding of who God is, that was not a heroic act. As a matter of fact, that was flat-out disobedience. That was flat-out disobedience. And so we looked at when Clark preached for us in chapter 2. So as we're going through the book of Numbers, even in these minute details of the numberings and things going on, if you've been paying attention to what's, go what's going on here in the book of Numbers, you'll see that we're really we're learning things about God. Okay, We're learning things about God. And in chapter 2, Brother Clark, you know, he pointed out the holiness of God there uh, and, how, and how that concerned the arrangements of the camp around the tabernacle, okay? And throughout many different places in Scripture, we see uh, that God is holy, right? That is the only attribute in all of the Scripture that we see elevated to the third degree. God is holy, holy, holy. Okay? And he must be regarded as such. So, in other words, concerning this account here, concerning this account with Uzzah, putting out his hand to save the Ark of the Covenant, um, it, would be, it would have been better for the Ark of the Covenant to hit the ground, the dirt. Why? Because the ground, the dirt, is, is not sinful. There's nothing sinful about the ground. What was sinful? Uzzah. It would have been better for the Ark of the Covenant to hit the dirt than it would have been for Uzzah to reach out his hand because he defiled it. Right? God is holy. So the worship of a holy God is to be treated as a very important issue. And I think that is something that we can learn from those first few verses. Now, to continue with that, we may not be immediately consumed by fire um, like uh, Nadab and Abihu, right? And we, neighbor, we may not be immediately struck dead uh, on the spot like Uzzah, but friends, there is a judgment coming, and uh, we will be judged for the deeds done in this body. Uh, if we are believers, we will be, and if we are unbelievers, an even greater judgment uh, ahead. Uh, so God is holy, uh, and he is to be worshipped as such, and therefore that worship uh, is to be treated uh, with the utmost importance. Okay. Now in verses 5 through 13, uh, we're going to look at them briefly because we're actually going to come back uh, to a few verses uh, there, uh, which is where I want to spend some time a little bit, but... I want us to look at uh, some things going on here in verses 5 through 13. Now, what's happening here is uh, the duties of the Levites are being given. And there are two things I want us to see here, okay? First, they are to guard. And second, they are to serve, or as we see in our text, minister, okay? Now, notice with me verse 8. Verse 8 says, They shall guard all the furnishings of the tent of meeting and keep guard over the people of Israel as they minister uh, at the tabernacle. So, 
They are to guard in the sense of protecting things from being stolen, but they are also to stand between the Lord and his people, and the people of Israel. Now, again, as we continue going through the book of Numbers, uh, the Lord's holiness starts to become more and more revealed. Okay, And so the, the latter part of that guarding, standing between uh, the Lord and his people, is something that tends to be more emphasized uh, in terms of the guarding uh, as we go through uh, this book. Now, some of you, when we started, might have been asking, you know, why, you know, why study the book of Numbers? What, what is in the book of Numbers uh, for us? But as I said earlier, we're learning things about God, even in the numberings and the minute details. So we're learning about God here, folks. We're learning about truths about God that is crucial to our understanding of who he is and regarding his holiness uh, and our understanding of the worship uh, that he requires uh, of his people, okay? So now, in verses 14 through 20, uh, nothing uh, special going on there, but what is going on there is the sons of Levi are introduced uh, in these verses and then their clans. Uh, so in verses 21 through 37, uh, we find in these latter verses uh, of our passage uh, the duties regarding the transporting, the erecting, and the dismantling of the tabernacle uh, of, of the three clans of Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. Now in verses 21 through 26, the Gershonites, uh, which was the clans of Gershon, uh, they were told that they have the responsibility for the parts of the tabernacle, okay, that, they, uh, that are made of cloth, right? So that would include the tent, the hangings, the screen, uh, and so on, okay? Now the Kohathites in verses 27 through 32 uh, were responsible for the holy things of the tabernacle, so that would be the ark, uh, the table, the lampstand, and so on there. Uh, and in verses 33 through 37, which comes to the closing uh, of this chapter, we see here the, the Merarites, um, they have the responsibility of that clan for the hardware of the temple. So that would be the poles, the bases, uh, and everything that goes, that goes on with that. Now, that's just kind of an overview uh, of what's going on here uh, in this chapter. Uh, in the duties of the Levites, what they are responsible for, the different clans of Gershon, Kohath, and Merari, uh, and their clans and what they're responsible for, uh, and so on. Uh, but now, I want to turn your attention to verses 11 through 13, uh, which is where we're going to park for a little bit. So verses 11 through 13, and I want to read those once again. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Behold, I have taken the Levites from among the people of Israel instead of every firstborn who opens the womb among the people of Israel. The Levites shall be mine. For all the firstborn are mine on the day that I struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. I consecrated from my own all the firstborn in Israel, both of man and of beast. They shall be mine. I am the Lord. Uh, notice with me, in verse 12, what is, what is said 
in the last line of verse 12. The Lord says, the Levites shall be mine. The Levites shall be mine. The Levites are mine, says the Lord through Moses. First thing I want us to see here is God's ownership, God's lordship, right? His ownership of his people, right? And that's amazing. That is an amazing truth to look at. So not only does, does this passage talk about, right, so we see that the Levites are being given to Aaron. We see that they're given to support the priests in all their work. But the Levites belong to Yahweh. The Levites belong to God himself. They are uniquely his people and belong to him. They are his servants to do and carry out his will. This is a beautiful picture, friends, of the ownership of God over the Christian, over the believer, of all of, the, all of us who are in Christ. We are his. We are his. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Brother Dallas preached on this a few weeks ago. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 10, we read, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And brothers and sisters, what I want to say is that if we are truly in Christ, we belong to him. We belong to God. And we are called to serve him and proclaim his excellencies. Amen. Because of the grace and mercy that he has shown to us, not only to be our Savior, but to be our Lord. Okay? And you see, so we see an amazing truth here. The, God's ownership of his people, his lordship over his people. Okay? Now, Look with me again at verse 13, and I want you to notice a phrase uh, there again. Uh, in verse 13, we see the phrase uh, at the very beginning, for all the firstborn are mine. For all the firstborn are mine. I want you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 13. Now, in Exodus chapter 13, what's going on is the Lord is speaking through Moses, and he's telling his people uh, to consecrate to me all the firstborn, okay? Because when the Lord saved his people out of Egypt, all of the firstborn of Egypt died, okay? They were killed. And in Exodus chapter 13, uh, starting in verse 13, we read, Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. Or if you will not redeem it, it, shall, it, it you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And when in time to come your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. 
For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, our sacrifices to the Lord, all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons, I redeem. It shall be as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out uh, of Egypt. Uh, now here in the passage, the Lord here is saying, is I'm going to take the Levites, and our passage here in the book of Numbers, is I'm going to take the Levites in the place of your firstborn. Okay, So when the father of a firstborn, right here in the book of Numbers of Israel, goes up to the tabernacle, he would be reminded of this great work that the Lord did in saving his people through substitution. Through substitution. So we see here this principle of substitution. And we see that all throughout the Old Testament, right? We see that even with the animal sacrifices, right? They were to put, lay their hands on the animals and take them off, and those animals were sacrificed on their behalf, right? Because the animals themselves, they did not sin, but it was the people, right? The people, the people of the household, the people of Israel, they had sinned. And because of that, there had to be a sacrifice that had to be made, right? There was a substitution uh, on their behalf. And so the animals took their place. And just like that, in our passage here, the Levites would take the place of the firstborn of Israel as their substitutes. As a reminder of what God has done. And friends, this is just a foretaste. This is just a picture of one who would come of a greater one that would come, that, would, that God would wrap himself in flesh in the person of Jesus Christ and that he would come and that he would go to a cross and that he would bear the wrath of God upon himself and the sins of all of those who were in Christ. And he bore all of that upon himself as a substitute for you and for me. As a substitute. He did that in our place. Amen. God is good. God is gracious. And God made a way of substitution for us as he did for his people even through the Exodus. And the last and final thing I want us to look at we will also find in verse 13. And I just want to go ahead and read that entire verse again. For all the firstborn are mine. On the day that I struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I consecrated for my own all the firstborn in Israel, both of man and of beast. They shall be mine. I am the Lord. Uh, now, in verses... Uh, 46 and 47, which is not uh, our uh, passage, uh, not part of our passage that we read. Uh, Brother Harrison will look at that for us next time. Uh, but in verse 46, I do want to read uh, verse 46 and the first line of verse 47. And those read, And as of the redemption price for the 273 of the firstborn of the people of Israel over and above the number of the male Levites, Verse 47, 
you shall take five shekels per head. Uh, now, last thing I want us to look at is I want us to see, so we've seen the Lord's work in substitution. Now I want us to see the Lord's work of redemption. The Lord's work of redemption. So we see this principle of of a ransom needing to be made here, right? So, so the substitute has has already the substitute has already taken place, right? There's already been a substitute, but there's still, according to verses forty six and forty seven, there is still a ransom that has to be paid here. Okay, the Lord says, "Look, I've accepted the substitute in your place, but there is still a price that has to be paid. There is still a price that has to be paid." And what I want us to get at here is I, this is truly, I believe this is truly a picture of redemption, okay? And so, brothers and sisters, for us, that's Christ. That's Christ. He is not only our substitute, but he is our redeemer. He is our redeemer. Through the person and work of Christ, he has taken our place, he has paid our debt, and because of that, we are God's people. And he has ownership over us. And we should serve him faithfully to bring him glory and honor for what he has so graciously done on our behalf. Amen. Friends, what we have just looked at in this passage is the gospel remembered. This is the gospel remembered. God has ownership over his people. He is the Lord of his people. He has made a way of substitution for his people. But not only that, he's made a way of redemption for his people through Christ. So friends, as we look at this passage tonight, which we've already looked at, if you don't remember anything else, remember this. You've seen the gospel. This is the gospel. God's ownership, his lordship, his substitutionary means, and his redeeming means. And all of that happens through Christ. Will you pray with me? Well, Father, we thank you so much for your word, the truth of your word. And God, we thank you tonight for allowing us to, to look at these truths that we have seen in Numbers chapter 2. And Father, as we go through the book of Numbers, although you're not a book that, that we tend to lean towards to want to study, mainly due to our sinful nature. But God, as we go through this book, we are learning things about you, that you're holy, that you require us to worship you in such a way that is honoring and glorifying to you. And God, we thank you for this picture of the gospel that we see that not only 
not only do we see the ownership that you have over your people, your lordship, but we see the means in which you have made a way for substitution on behalf of your people, and along with that, we see the means in which you have redeemed uh, your people, and Lord, we know that all of this looks forward uh, to the greater substitution, to the great redeemer that would come, who would take the place of your people, and so God, we thank you for Christ, and we thank you that through him that we are yours, and Lord, that you call us to serve you faithfully. God, may we do so, and may we do so uh, as we walk from this place. Uh, May we seek to glorify you in all that we do, and it's in Christ's name we pray.